everyone. I hope that you're excited because basically you guys chose today's service. I mean, literally, you guys dictated all of today's service because um, you remember the last couple of weeks we've been telling you, like, submit your questions, submit your questions, and you guys absolutely did. So we have, gosh, I think close to close to 20 planned questions today. More than almost more than that. So we're over 20 planned questions today. But in addition to that, you're going to be on it today. You're going to be firing it out today. So in addition to that, though, um, we are going to have a number on the screen. And if you think of something, we're still giving all of you last minute people a chance. If you think of something that you want to ask today, text that number. Now, here's the thing. That is my personal cell phone <laughs> number okay we usually go with like a texting service or we we buy a number or whatever and and just in the past was they haven't worked out well for us there's lag there's all kinds of stuff so because we want to be on it this morning we're going to use my number all right and that is for your eyes only all right and i and, just would and, like and, to say that if you need prayer <laughs> if you you know it's 3 a.m. and you need a ride from the bar. You're going through a crisis at 4.30 a.m. I don't care. We're here for you. We're here for you because we care. Right, Delano? Sure, why not? <laughs> yes, so please do not be shy. Text in your question. Um, and hopefully we'll try to get to it today if uh, he's not feeling long-winded. But... <laughs> I'm just like, hey, he makes fun of me all the time. He said I started out long-winded when I started talking and when I started speaking for him. Um, he said I started out long-winded and usually get more long-winded as you go. And uh, so he said it's it's going to be all downhill for here for me. So, like, we might be doing two-hour services in the future. But anyway, Pastor Todd, I hope you're excited about these questions. I hope you came prepared. I know you guys are. So if you don't mind, we're going to go ahead and get started. So... With all that being said, let's go ahead and start with the very... Well, let's pray, let's pray first. Yeah, no, let's pray. Let's make sure... I need help. Okay. <laughs> all right, let's bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we thank you so much, God. We thank you for your word and its wisdom. We thank you that it's truth and it's timeless. And so, God, I pray today that you would help me, God, to speak that truth with an incredible amount of grace. And so, God, I pray that uh, we would all kind of just be engaged today, God, that we'd be open to what you might have to say, God. For some of us, we might have pre kind of preconceived ideas that we're locked into. And so, God, I pray that we would all be open to God, that if, if, if the question is not asked or the question is not answered the way we want to, but, God, we would be open. God, what do you have to say? Let's build our lives on your word, God, and help us to be humble to your words, Lord God. That is my prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said... Amen. 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 So you feeling good? I feel, feel ready. Feel fantastic. All right. Well, let's do it. Very first question of the morning. What does the Bible say about ghosts? Oh, who are my ghost people? I had this. Yeah, there it is. Oh, you too. I had this emailed to me like just last night, I think it was or so. Anyway, hey, ghost. Uh, how many of you watch the ghost shows on is it Discovery Channel? You're into the ghost shows? All right, I've got really bad news for you. There's no such thing as ghosts. What does the Bible say about ghosts? The Bible, here's what the Bible says. Uh, the, the Bible talks really, really clearly about what happens when you die. And so the Bible says that it's, it's given, uh, you know, a man wants to die and then the judgment. And it, the Bible says to be separated from uh, your body is to be one with the Lord or to be present with the Lord. And so the Bible like kind of speaks of the idea that when you die, you don't get to kind of hover around and haunt places. How many of you would like that though? You like, I'd pay you a visit. 
freak you out a little bit. All the pain. I'm gonna you hunt you and I die. You're gonna die. You're younger than me. You're gonna die before me. Uh, so, so anyway, yeah. There's no such thing as ghosts. Now, in a sense, and now let me define ghosts. Though, are there spirits? Are there spiritual beings? Yes. Is is your aunt Sally coming back? No. That's my point. So, so are there spiritual beings? Yes. Are there ghosts of of dead people who have gone on and they've come back and are angry about stuff? I'm going to let you know about it. No, there are no ghosts according to the Bible in that way and in that sense. Does that does that answer the question? I I'd say so. Do you, yeah. Okay. Do you I believe still, in, you believe in ghosts? No, I can't say that I do. No, I, don't I can't. I can't say that I do. But I know some people are really, really. But there is a demonic. Yeah. Well, we'll talk to some questions about that later. Uh, but there is a demonic nature to. Uh, there's an unseen world that is around us. The Bible speaks of, and so yeah, there's spiritual beings. There's angels. There's demons. There's all kinds of stuff that we're very just not incredibly aware of. And, and there, there are, so there are things like that, but not in the sense of like, yeah, your dead uncle Harry coming back to hang out with you. No. All right, so I don't get to haunt you there. As a matter of fact, not only that, but like the Bible's really clear about like contacting the dead. You'll see that in like these kind of goofy, uh, if I offend you, I'm sorry. I offend everybody eventually, just go with it. Um, so anyway, the Bible's very clear about like seances and, and, and you know, any, anything of the occult, anything with Ouija boards or tarot cards and all that's like, no. The, the Bible has some very specific scriptures about like that stuff being on the no list for God. God's like, no, no, that's not how we interact with the spiritual realm. Uh, we, we've gone into the realm of goofiness. And so um, that stuff, you know, is something we should avoid. Okay. All right. So don't contact the dead. Okay. You're going to get something you don't want. You're not going to get <laughs> all a All right, all right. Okay. Okay, so next question. Is yoga okay for Christians? Hey, we had this we had this question uh we had discussion at Bible study not not too long ago. We were talking about this stuff and so is yoga. Now, let me tell you this. My wife is a workout nut. And she loves working out and she loves all this stuff. And so I remember when, when she, because she thought yoga was like a great idea in, in terms of the physical aspects of yoga. And so she, she would look and be like she found some Christian yoga people. And, but there's a little bit of a funk there because yoga has a lot of its roots in either New Age or Eastern religions. And, and so anyway, uh, the question is like, well, because I remember the question was like, well, some of these poses to them were like, you know, poses of worship to their deities and all this stuff. And I'm like, yay, I get. So here, here's my answer to that. I personally would never recommend you to go into, um, let's just say, goofy environments where there was like new age practice and new age worship. And I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't expose myself to those environments. Does that make sense? But at the same time, when you look at yoga from a purely physical standpoint, you know, there's nothing wrong with exercise. And what I, what I told the, the lady that we were talking was, is that way before um, Upward Dog was a, a, a position to a something, it, it's, it's an ab stretch. Okay? That, I mean, that's what it is. Am I right, Delano? <laughs> yeah, you're right. And long before there were Eastern deities to worship, there were abs. <laughs> so they took ab stretching and, 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 and took it. To make it funky, I'm taking it back. I'm taking back ab stretches. And so, anyway, that, that, that's my point. From a physical standpoint, I think that stuff is it can be fantastic and really good for you. But but from uh, the, the spiritual aspects of it, I would completely avoid that based on those environments and being. It would be like saying, would I go around other people and get into their environments of false worship? No. And that's where I would avoid that. You know, it's so interesting. Even in the fitness world, there are different names depending on if I'm doing yoga or if I'm just 
with my trainer or whatever whatever the case may be outside of a yoga group. What do you group, call upper dog? Same, I don't know. It's ab stretch. It's, it's let's stretch the abs. That's what I mean, like, <laughs> let's stretch the abs. And, Delano okay. was a personal trainer in his former life. For a long time, yeah. And I can't, say, I can't say where I was working there was any um, – sort of deity worship going on in yoga class it was it was a you lot used to of make people sweat and cry and groan. That, was, that was a past life we don't yeah yeah <laughs> all right are you ready for the next I'm question i'm ready did everybody, right, feel wonderful. Good about, everybody feel good about the yoga answers everybody's like okay good all right next question is it wrong for a christian to be cremated I'm going to have to say, you know, here's, here's the deal. Sometimes the Bible does not speak clearly about a thing. And there's no, thus saith the Lord. There's no John 4:19, or, you know, there's, just, there's not that says, you know, thou shalt not be cremated. There's nothing in the Bible about being cremated. And so here's what I would say about that, though. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't have a problem with it at all. The Bible doesn't speak negatively about it in any way, shape, or form. And um, if, if that's the means by which somebody wants to, and it, it, I know this, my, 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 I was telling somebody earlier today, my father passed away a few years ago, and I was just almost upset at the, 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 the racket that was the death business. I mean, it, felt, it felt like a racket. I felt like, dear God, I'm being taken advantage of uh, at the worst possible time to be taken advantage of. And so, um, you know, cremation is much, much um, less expensive than some of the other ways that you can go about taking care of a, of a loved one that's passed on. And so anyway, you know, because uh, people say stuff about like, well, well the body and if God's going to resurrect the body. Let, let, let me help you out real quick here. People that have been dead for a thousand years, their, their body's already ashes. Right? Have you ever seen a body that's been around for a thousand years? It's, it's ashes. So, like, if God can resurrect that, I'm not worried about cremation. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, and in, in, in if you want to go read it for yourself, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible, Paul is asked this question about our bodies. And he goes, well, it's funny that you ask that. Actually, there are, there's a legitimate difference between your physical body here on earth and your physical or your spiritual body that you will have in heaven or have for eternity. There are two different types of bodies. So when the Bible talks about resurrecting a body, it's not like God doesn't know what to do with your ashes. Does that make sense? God's good. God will figure it out. God can make that happen. We know a lot of people who have, you know, what if you were a Christian, you, were, you, you died in a, in, a, in, a, in a fire. Your body was burned like, like, like. Like, all of a sudden, you can't be resurrected from the dead. You know, like, no, God's way bigger than that, way beyond that. And so nothing in the Bible, one way or the other, it's whatever you feel good and feel comfortable about. All right, wonderful. Ready for the next one? Always. All right, next question. (laughs) Oh, where are dinosaurs in creation Dinosaurs. Um, this is a great question. I love this. Now, this 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 question. Don't be offended at me. Um, let me let me tell you something real quick. Let me set this up here. Whenever we talk about things that are semi-controversial, number one, they shouldn't be. Uh, if we love Jesus and we believe Jesus, the Son of God who died for our sins, we're on the same team, and we might have minor differences in the way that we uh, you know view certain things, but they're not crucial, right? Like um, one of the issues that that you'll see Christians bicker and argue over is uh, is this idea of what we call new or young Earth versus old Earth, right? Like there are some people that are adamant that the earth is literally just 6,000 years old. It was created, poof, all put together in exact literal 24-hour increments 
There were six of them and then God took a nap and rested or whatever. And so some people believe that. Now, to me, this is not an issue because it has nothing to do with salvation, has nothing to do with eternity, has nothing to do with doctrine at its core. Um, And so this is what we call an open hand conversation. If you believe differently than I do, that's okay. We're still on the same team. Everybody say, okay. So uh, to to, to make that point, though... uh, I've heard people that are, are now, again, young earth means I believe the earth is only 6,000 years old. Now, if you, if you ever went to a secular school and heard science class, how old is the earth? Yeah, billions of years old. So, uh, wait a minute. That doesn't seem to make sense there. And so, um, you know, but, but I know those guys will tell you that there are, uh, there, there's, um, there's actually Bible verses that speak of two creatures that sound really, really strange. One of them's out of the book of Job. It's called Behemoth, and another one's called Leviathan. And um, they, they, when they describe these animals, they sound like creatures from a foreign world, from dinosaur land and, and all that and stuff. And so it was Jurassic Park in the Bible there. And so... Um, so anyway, that's that's kind of like how people that, that have a, a young earth view kind of look at dinosaurs for people that have like an old earth view. Now, here's an old earth view. The, the, the earth has been around for billions of years that when Genesis was written, number one, uh, it was it was meant to be poetic. It was meant to be a description of how God brought about the earth. Um, there's actually a really fascinating book that I read by a, a, a Jewish um, God. What would he, he's one of those brainiac scientists? He was like an MIT professor of physics, and, and anyway, he studies all kinds of weird stuff. His book is so hard to read, I have to skim parts of it. He's like, eh, I'll finish that later. And, um, but he describes that how um, he actually made me understand the theory of relativity. How many know E equals MC squared? Okay, now how many actually know what that means? Yeah, that's kind of weird. It's kind of E equals MC squared is actually energy equals mass times the speed of light times the speed of light. That's the C part. E, e, e is energy equals M matter times C, the speed of light, times the speed of light, which you'd have to be Einstein to figure that out. And so anyway, basically what – how many of you saw Interstellar? How many saw Interstellar? It's a pretty cool movie, huh? That was dope. Hey, did it twist your brain up a little bit? Your brain hurt after that movie, right? Because remember, they went down to the planet, and this isn't a spoiler alert. This is kind of part of the movie that won't give away anything. But they go to like a certain planet, but because it's next to a black hole, time moves slower there than it does at the other place. And so they're there for a few hours, but back home they'd lost 30 years. Remember this part of the movie? That's real. That is the theory of relativity. Relativity means this, is that it's, well, it's relative. How fast time moves here is not the same as it moves everywhere in the universe. Now, that's a really, really hard to grasp concept, isn't it? But gravity is the same way. Like if you go to the moon, ladies, you're going to feel really good about yourselves. Why? You're like, I feel so light today. You know, so so it's because gravity is relative to where you're at in the universe. Is that right? And we cannot fathom time moving at different paces, but we can kind of get the idea of gravity being different in different places. Well, here's the really weird thing. Time does not move at the same pace every place in the universe. And we know that because we can measure light waves. And basically, we even take the sun. Like the, the, At the sun, it moves at a slightly different pace than it does here. It's very, very minimal. But out at the expanse of the universe. Now, now here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And what we believe is that science is, is actually catching up to what the Bible says. Because science has proven in the last 25 years that the universe had a singular starting point. Well, duh. I mean, we, we, I, this is Genesis 1. I already, I already knew that. And so, but uh, here, here's the point of it, though, is that at the moment of the Big Bang, that, that when mat, matter was created and energy was created, that that's when time began because time is connected to matter. Does that make sense? And, and, and time changes. Here's where time changes. Time changes 
and speeds up or slows down based on a few different things, uh, mainly being velocity and gravity. Does that make sense? So imagine the gravitational pull. And so anyway, what the scientist goes on to explain is, is that at, at cause, cause here's the deal with the, the young earth theory that I, I don't totally get. People talk about that was a literal six days. Well, the earth wasn't even visible until day three. The sun wasn't even visible until day three, I should say. So how did you have six 24 hour periods when the sun was, does that make sense? And so these days were not meant to be literal 24-hour days necessarily. The other thing would be this, is if it's a picture and a description of what's going on in the universe, from what vantage point were you looking when the earth and the sun weren't created yet? And where would you have been at the point of the universe when this stuff was taking place? And so what the scientist goes on to show you that it would have been the six literal days at that point, at the starting point of the universe, because time would have been, again, a million times a million slower than it would be here. Now, how many know that doesn't make any sense at all? So, I digress. There, there are answers to this, but the point would be this, is if you believe in a old earth, then there were billions of years that took place here while just moments passed from God's vantage point. Does that make sense? This is why the psalmist and both Peter say, well, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And it wasn't literal, 24 to a thousand. It was, just, it was just a way of saying, like, time is not the same for God. So, from God's vantage point, things move. How do you think God keeps track of of six billion people at one time. Time moves really, really slow to God. Does that make sense? Because God is outside of time completely. And so for the earth to be an old earth and for there to be 15 billion years roughly of earth's existence, the dinosaurs came along somewhere, I think about eight billion years later after the earth was even existed. They had a short span here and then now they're gone. So anyway, if you're older, that, that there's an easy explanation that it was a part of the bigger picture the problem is is when we shrink everything down to six thousand years then we're like well, where are the dinosaurs at and then i heard this christian guy and, and the science guy debating and he this guy made the science guy so mad because the science guy said well, where, where are the dinosaurs and the christian guy and it sounds kind of nutty and it was kind of a bad answer and he goes oh well god just put those there to, to test your faith <laughs> and the science guy said i think god put you here to test my faith <laughs> and so anyway young earth old earth doesn't matter. It's all good. The, the dinosaurs are clearly there in creation. Where they're at, we're not 100% sure. Somewhere in there, they're not really mentioned in the Bible specifically. That was uh, a long answer. Oh, it was a good answer. It was confusing, but it was a good answer. I, I think we all like that answer. Okay. Very good. All right. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and move on. To... Now you know that your pastor knows the theory of relativity. That is true. He's a smart guy. He knows this stuff. All right. Next question. What do you think? We're in California, aren't we? We are in California. What do you think, Pastor you Todd, from about medicinal marijuana? How's that, how's that working now, just out? so you know, this is actually this this works well. We're killing two birds with one stone because somebody else out there just texted me that question. Oh, nice. Yeah. So apparently, marijuana is on the brain in the audience today. On the brain? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. He, he, here's how I want to answer that. Um, number one is this: the Bible speaks of the idea of drunkenness. And basically, it talks about any type of drunkenness as a sin. So whether you read the book of Proverbs, whether you read uh, New Testament writings from Paul, the Apostle Paul, whatever, uh, even Jesus, they speak of drunkenness always as a sin and in a negative tone. And if you've ever been around somebody that had that issue, then you know that, yeah, there are negative ramifications. And there's a reason why God says to avoid drunkenness is because all sin leads down a path. Uh, of, of darkness. Does that make sense? So like God's always trying to put you on a right path to put you in the best place to have the most blessed life possible.
will to fulfill his purpose and plan for your life. And so there are certain sins that always lead you astray from that. And drunkenness is one of those. And so to me, marijuana just kind of falls into the drunkenness category, that it is not something that you want to pursue. And it's not something you want to do. It is something you want to avoid at all costs. But everybody say, but okay, here's the deal, though. Um, there are other medicines that are narcotics in nature. There are other medicines like we, we know, like the addiction to painkillers is higher now than it's ever been. And so to say that that form of medicine, well, is not as bad as some of the other forms of medicines, it's almost like pointing to um, like justifying this bad thing with a worser thing. Does that make sense? And so here's my point, though. I still understand that all people like go through sickness and illness and, and we want to medicate the pain and we don't want to suffer and we don't want to go through those things. And so here's my advice is is if you use medicinal marijuana and it was the only thing you could possibly find to cure what ails you, then I'm not going to I'm not going to judge you. But but don't don't go get your cannabis card. And be like, yeah, I got a headache. It's stupid. I'm a little stressed. No, read your Bible and grow up. Because all, all drunkenness is a sin. It's going to lead down a path of darkness away from God's will and God's plan for your life. And you should use all medicine with wisdom. Does that answer the question pretty good? Does that do? Okay. All right. Good. Got a little headache. Huh? No, I'm just like, all right. Let's go ahead and do this next question. Let's jump right into it. All right. Controversy right here. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? Uh, first of all, we got several questions around this topic. So, like, there was, like, a number of different ways we could have worded it. So we just stripped it down to its core and just got real, real simple about it because of the way it was questioned by each individual was slightly different. And so um, he, he, here's the deal. One, one of the ways that the question came in is um, is is what I want to address. And it was something along the lines of, and, and if, you, if you did the question, I'm by no means picking on you, but I don't want you to hear me out here. It was something along the lines of, uh, I've been told the Bible says that, that homosexuals be condemned to hell but the God I believe in is a God of love and, and this and this and this and this and this. Okay, so what we have to do is we have to be very, very careful whenever we are engaging in cultural issues like this. Because what, there, there's a major temptation to basically interpret the Scripture through our own sexuality, to interpret the Scripture through our own perspective, rather than actually interpret our sexuality through Scripture. Does that make sense? We should never be looking at the Bible and say, well, I believe this, so I'm going to go find it in the Bible or twist the Bible or whatever. We should just let the Bible speak. And we should, um, don't get me wrong, there's a text, there's a context, there's really ways that we should go about reading the Bible. But be really, really careful that you don't try to interpret the Scripture through your own vantage point only. Does that make sense? Because what that person was doing is, well, I believe God's grace and I believe God's love, so God would never do that. Here's the problem. Um, you, you have to take the whole of Scripture. You have to look at all things and then begin to weigh them out. So is God a God of love? Yes. Does that mean that God does not judge certain things? Well, clearly. Because we want him to judge the murderer. We want him to judge certain people. But then when it comes to people that we love and we think are wonderful and they're really, really sweet... Then all of a sudden we can think, but, but not them. And now all of a sudden we've become the judge of what is good and bad. We've become the judge of what is holy and unholy. And I'm telling you right now, you don't want that job. And I don't want that job. And so we have to be careful not to try to, to interpret the scripture through our own sexuality. Does that make sense so far? Okay, so let me answer the question directly. The Bible has four specific places. Um, basically, there's two in the Old 
two in the new. When I say that, I'm sorry, Old Testament, New Testament. There are four different scriptures that come out and have either a direct condemnation or a negative connotation towards anything homosexual. That homosexuality, according to scripture, is a sin. There's really no way around that. I, I've heard guys, I, I actually, my, my, my youth pastor, I was telling this story not too long ago too. My youth pastor when I was a kid, uh, turned out that he was a homosexual. And when he, um, when he went public and whatever, he was a champion for like Jesus for gays and, 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 and all this stuff. And um, I caught up with him a few years later and I asked him, his name is Stephen. I said, Stephen, I, I need to understand something. Are you throwing scripture out the door and just saying we're going to go this way because I just feel like it's right? Or do you have some type of scriptural basis that I don't understand? And I said, this is not an argument. I'm really curious. I want to know what you're I want to know where you're coming from. Dead silence. They wouldn't respond to me. And I've heard other people try to respond. There's no way to biblically take, take biblical gymnastics and jump and twist and move the scripture around to make it say anything other than homosexuality is a sin. There's no other way around it. And I've heard guys try to do it. And you put them into the realm of debate with anybody that knows the Bible well. It's, 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 it's almost laughable. So if you've seen something on the internet or you read an article on Facebook or you watch this YouTube video. And trust me. It does not hold weight throughout the entirety of Scripture. It just doesn't. But, everybody say but. But here's the, here's the deal, though. Is you, and if you're in here and you struggle with homosexuality or you struggle with the idea that homosexuality is a sin, here's, here's a few things I want you to know. Number one is this, is your identity as a person is not your sexuality. Okay, you're not. Your first and foremost identity should be that I'm with Jesus. That would be the first and foremost centerpiece of your identity. You are not your sexual desires and your sexual cravings. Somebody say, thank God. Okay, uh, so, so that, that's number one. Number two is this, is, is all of us have levels of brokenness in our sexuality. We all do. Now, we look at severe examples of people that have broken sexuality, people that, let's say, uh, have sexual desires towards a small child. And we say, dear God, what is wrong? How broken are they? So, that's demonic. That's this. And that's an extreme. But I've got brokenness in my sexuality. Like, I just don't have a brokenness like that or like a guy that's attracted to a guy or a girl that's attracted to a girl. Like, I think all women are attractive. And if I don't control that, it's broken. <laughs> Does that make sense? And so, like, um, if, if I'm a person that just says, oh, I want to have sex with anybody and everybody, as much, as much, as God was in us, it's a sin. Your sexuality is broken. Your sexual desire and craving is broken. And anything outside of what we would say is, is, is like a, a, the biblical model for how relationships work. And here I'll back this up. Not only does every place in Scripture that talks about homosexuality condemn homosexuality, but there's no other examples in all of Scripture regarding homosexuality. Like the whole book is designed to get people towards godly, loving marriage between a husband and a wife. Because every other place in Scripture you see it's condemned. Even examples of it, it's condemned. Does that make sense? So the whole blueprint of, of the Bible, even going back to the way that God designed us and created us, is God designed woman from man to be a perfect match and fit for that. When you read the New Testament, you see that really that husband and wife is a reflection of Jesus. And so you can't have that with a woman and a woman, and you can't have that with a man and a man. Anytime you have a woman and a woman, you're breaking physical, natural design. Anytime you're, again, are you seeing it? There's no way to do it, but here's the deal. Let, let me read for you the scripture out of Corinthians, because this is where I want to hit home. It says, uh, this is verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
That's a key phrase here. Like, don't get caught up in looking at everything through a cultural lens. Sometimes there's a twist. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkard, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a big list, isn't it? And God doesn't just take like one sin and be like, ooh, that, you're, the, you're the really bad ones. These people, eh, we'll kind of wink at their sin. No, no, he takes slanders and homosexuals. No, adulterers, yep. Yeah, uh, it it's all in this greedy. How do you measure that, by the way? Have you been greedy today? Were you greedy on Black Friday? I don't. Greedy, homosexual, same category. That's something to think about, isn't it? Meaning like homosexuality is not like their sin and then homosexual. That, that's super sin. Any different than your fornication or your adultery or your greed? Is it super sin? Listen to this. And, and that is what some of you were. That's a great line right there. That's what some of you were. Meaning like, yeah, we all come from a sinful background. We all have brokenness in our heart. And all of us have some level of brokenness even in our sexuality. And we all were those things, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Meaning God has the ability to redeem all things. God can redeem our broken sexuality. And he can redeem our crazy greed on Black Friday. He can redeem it all. Last thing, and I'm going to end here because I'm going to run out of time soon. Wow. Um, Is this, is that Jesus... There's a misconception about Christianity and God in general. And many of us have the false notion that it's, it's God's job to make us happy. Where did you ever get that from the Bible? God loves you, but it's like a parent. Like if a parent just did everything for you just to make you happy, you'd eat ice cream for breakfast and dinner. Like God doesn't do things just to make you happy. The purpose of life is not happiness. The purpose of life is to know God. And God has never called us to this life where God just wants to give you anything that you want. Does that make sense? As a matter of fact, to follow Jesus, this is what Jesus said. To follow Jesus, he said, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must do what? He must first take up his cross. So like the point of following Jesus and the starting point of following Jesus was not I get to do what I want. It was I get to sacrifice everything. So if that includes you having to sacrifice certain parts of your sexuality or all of it, God forbid, so be it. The call to follow Jesus was not this. Well, come with me and I'll give you everything you want. It was no sacrifice everything as you follow me. The point of following Jesus was not, I get to do what I want. Is what am I going to sacrifice? And Jesus even said, hey, there are some people who are called to never marry. And, and, if, and if you're in a situation where like, hey, that is the only sexual desire I have, but I know that it's sin according to the Bible, then I'm going to sacrifice that. And if that means I never get married, then so be it. Jesus is worth more than my sexuality. My identity is more than my sexuality. So that's my Bible stance on it. That's what the scripture teaches. And I cannot get around that as much as I do love people. But I love people that are adulterers and I love people who are greedy. And I do love people that are homosexual. And to say that homosexuality is a sin doesn't separate those two. And God loves homosexuals. Does that make sense? The stupid people that get on the, on the, the, the side of the road and say God hates this people. Or that, they're ignorant and they're stupid. Um, God loves all people. That's why he sent his son to die. And God has the ability to redeem all things. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for that answer. Um, 
just for time's sake, what I'd like to do is start, I guess, we'll call it the lightning round. The lightning round. The lightning round, okay? I wish we had a cool, the lightning round. We had right. no idea how fast or slow this would go. We're going to We go did. Fast. Are you guys doing okay? Because uh, you guys, we got a lot of questions in. So if you don't mind maybe hanging out an extra few minutes, we're going to try to get in as many as we can. So for the lightning round, I'm gonna go fast we're going to fire Let's through them, okay? All right, All right boom. First question. If someone dies before accepting Jesus, but they're almost there, can they go to heaven? They're almost there. They're not quite, but they're almost. Okay, I'm going to answer these fast. Um, number one, the Bible says that to be, remember I said this earlier, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, the Bible says, um, it, this is a cool scripture in 2 Corinthians 5:10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him. For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. It goes on, and there's a lot of scriptures that talk about this idea that we all pass through judgment. Now, here's the deal. There were certain church fathers that believed that it was possible that you maybe could be saved after the point of death. But there's no scriptures that absolutely say that. Most scriptures would lean towards the idea that once you die, that's it, and then you're presented before God to go through the judgment. Does that make sense? And judgment doesn't always necessarily mean harsh or bad. It just means that you're, you're judged according to what you did. And so uh, according to the scripture, as far as I can see it, it appears that, that we are judged in this life based on what we did with Jesus and how we responded to his gift of salvation. I hope I'm wrong. I hope there is an opportunity for salvation after death. I hope that, but I don't know that, so I don't tell people, well, chance it. (laughs) Roll the dice, I mean, yeah. I don't want to chance that one. Okay. All right, next question. How do demons affect our relationship? Uh, you know what? We now. talked about this a little bit before. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual weakness in high places. So anyway, the Bible basically that. says that there are demons, that there's a spiritual activity, that there's an unseen realm, and we do not know the level of influence they have. It is subtle. The Bible says that, um, that Jesus called Satan the, uh, the father of lies, and he works in the realm of deception. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, which in, in hermeneutics we call this the law of first beginnings, that whenever you see a thing interpreted and seen in Scripture, that it sets the tone for how you can interpret it in future places in Scripture. And we see that Satan from the very beginning was a deceiver and manipulator, and so we believe that that's how he operates inside of relationships. That he's, If you were here last week, we talked about... And he drops these little thoughts into your head. He convinces you of certain things. He pushes on bruises. He stirs up your insecurity. And he wants to wreak havoc in your relationship. To what degree we will never fully know. And sometimes, it, it, you know, sometimes you just drank too much and you should have shut up. You was tripping. Sometimes, uh, sometimes two personalities just don't mix and match. Okay? Sometimes there's demonic activity making it worse and exaggerating it. We'll never know. So be on guard. Does that make sense? There you go. All right, all right. Next question. Why did God reject Cain's offering? Okay, Cain had a a brother named Abel. This is the first two sons recorded in the Bible. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. They bring their offering. Uh, One was uh, the firstborn lamb. The other one was... um, so an offering from grains and fruits and such. And early on, I just assumed God was a carnivore and enjoyed good steak and barbecue and was like me in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and, and didn't, didn't want fruits and vegetables and rabbit food. And I thought that's like me in a lot of ways. Um, it's not though. When I read the scripture in more detail, what you'll find is this, is that the difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering was time. Everybody say time. Uh, Abel brought the firstborn. That's important. There, there's, a, there's a principle throughout Scripture that God honors the first. I, I could take an entire day and walk you through this. 
God honors first. This is why we bring God our first fruits. That's why the tithe is not a 10%. It's the first 10% of what you bring in in your income. And so God, we give God the first day of our week. Uh, in January, we're going to give God the first month of our year through 21-day fast. We give God first because God honors the principle of the first throughout Scripture. Abel gave the first. Cain said that he gave his offering in the process of time, meaning when he got around to it after some time had passed. So he did not bring his first fruits. He brought some fruits. And that's why God rejected it, because God is first and he cannot be anything but first. All right. Next question. OK. You who can't is, even say that. No, word, no, I'm, 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 you give, give me a try? shot. Give me a shot. Who is Melchizedek? Melchizedek. Melchizedek in the Bible. Is he a type of Christ in the Old Testament? No, I wouldn't say he's a type of Christ. Um, he, he's actually the priest of Salem that Abraham gave. It's the first time a tithe was ever given as Abraham gave a tithe of all the spoils to Melchizedek, priest of Salem. In the book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 7, what you find is, um, is that the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is a priest likened unto Melchizedek, meaning like he didn't come from the priesthood of Aaron. And so I wouldn't say he was a type of Christ. I would say... Well, I used to say he was, a, he was a type of Christ. He was not Christ on earth. He was a type of Christ. And um, basically, Jesus is your priest. I don't know if you know that or not. The book of Hebrews is kind of interesting and dynamic in the sense that he talks about Jesus as being the perfect offering and the priest who offered it up at the same time. And so Melchizedek was this perfect priest who existed even before God created the priesthood in the book of Exodus with, uh, with Aaron. Bible question. Okay. Okay. For the one person who asked it. No, I'm All right. Next question. Do you believe that speaking in tongues is for today? Yes, I'm. I'm all about spiritual gifts. I think. I think uh, charismatic people have gotten a bad rap because they've they've been goofy, and so um, I can say that because. Um, I've worked for charismatic churches. I went to a Pentecostal Bible college. I grew up Southern Baptist. I'm a mutt of sorts. And so um, I love I love all Jesus' people. And but, but Christians have gotten or charismatics in particular have gotten a bad rap because it, it, they, they believed in spiritual gifting, but they took it to a point of being offensive and turning people off to it. And so when you just read the scripture, uh, Paul says some very, very interesting things. And I'll read just one of them for you. Um, he says about spiritual gifting, he says, uh, follow the way of love. And eagerly desire spiritual gifts or gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy, because because anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the spirit. And so there was this idea of speaking in tongues, this kind of unknown prayer language. And so um, Paul says it's good to pursue spiritual gifts. Uh, but he also goes on in First Corinthians chapter 14 when he's uh, he's basically correcting the church, like the whole thing on spiritual gifts. Is followed up by two things. Number one is this. You're spiritually arrogant. You don't love people. Stop it. And number two, you're crazy and out of order. Stop it. So in the realm of spiritual giftings, what supersedes all of that is love and order. And out of love and order should flow spiritual giftings, and that's a good thing. The problem is, is because uh, we're so turned off by some of the charismania, there's a backlash to stay away from it altogether. And I would say that's an unhealthy backlash. It's good to have spiritual gifts. It's good to have the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I would just say, hey... Pray a bold prayer and say, God, whatever gifts you want to give me, I'm open to them and help me know and discover those gifts. And then you go from there. Okay. All right. Very nice. Next question. Let's see here. Sorry, my confidence monitor is tripping a little bit. It says, all I see is don't feel comfortable lifting my, oh, I don't feel comfortable lifting my hands in church. Is God mad? I don't feel comfortable lifting my hands in church. Is God mad at me? Yeah, I think this is like in reference to like worship music. Yeah. Yes, he's mad at you. That's why you got that flat tire left. Yeah. 
How dare you? How could you not? Anyway, no, it's just, hey, the Bible says, I'm totally joking. Uh, the Bible says this. The Bible says lift up holy hands. Um, I, I could get into the science of it. There's, there's actually some science behind this, that when you put yourself into a physical posture of worship, um, and there's actually physical reactions that are happening inside of your body. It's fascinating. I don't have time to talk about it because we're in the lightning round. And so, um, uh, you know, lifting our hands is the international sign of surrender. You know what I mean? Uh, lifting our hands is a sign of worship. And so the Bible encourages us to do that. If you don't feel uncomfortable, I wouldn't say God's mad at you. No, I don't think that at all. I would dare you to ask the question, why do I feel uncomfortable about that? And what is in me that's making me either insecure or uncomfortable or whatever it is? And I would say God would want you to be free from that. I would say God's mad at you. I would say God wants you to be free from that because it does take a level of, of boldness and confidence to be free to worship because I remember... I remember growing up Southern Baptist and we didn't lift our hands and we didn't clap. We got up and we sang that hymn and we sat back down. <laughs> and I went to my first charismatic kind of church, like a word of faith church, and they were lifting their hands. And I thought, that's so cool. I really love Jesus. And I remember, uh, I remember the, the first time wanting to and I'm like. <laughs> and I had like one hand really close. Because it, it, it was weird. It was like you felt like other people would look at you. Like they're looking at me, lift my hands in worship. And then eventually you like, you might go to two hands. And then eventually if you get crazy and everything, and you're bothering people around you, Jesus, you know, don't, don't do that. Um, at home, do all you want. Dance, shout, buck, swing from the chandeliers. I don't care. At church, at New Beginnings, do not have your hand in other people's faces while you worship. Okay. Next question. All right. Next question. What is Shoel? Sheol. Sheol. Thank you. I, you guys got the hardest. Now you guys, we, we have a yeah. string of Bible questions. I think. This yeah. Is the Bible last questions. One. So um, thank you. How to pronounce that. Okay. Sheol. What is Sheol? Sheol? What does it have to do with life after death? Okay. Sheol was the Hebrew word for the grave. So anytime you hear them, they'll talk about David or Abraham or people going into Sheol because it sounds bad. That's <laughs> a purgatory or something. No, Sheol for them was just the grave. The Hebrews believe that basically you would die, go into a state of sleep, and then at the resurrection, you would all rise. And so Sheol was the place of the dead. The Greek equivalent would be the word Hades. And then you get all kinds of weird New Testament words like Gehenna, the word for hell or, you know, anyway, but like Sheol for the Hebrew person was the grave, it was the place where the, the, the the, uh, the dead went to sleep until the resurrection of the dead. And so anyway. All right. All right. So right based off of time, because you were doing so good at answering these questions, let's go ahead and jump to our last question. All and right. then we'll try to get to a few of these because they sent me some really, really good ones. So I want to get to at least one or two right. of these texted ones. So let's go ahead and go to the last question of the morning. How do you give hope to those sick and suffering how do you keep that hope for yourself? Great question. Life has um, a lot of moments that are incredibly, incredibly painful. We mentioned this idea a little bit earlier that, that many times as human beings, we try to live a life to avoid pain. And I agree with that. Um, pain is not something we pursue just for fun, for kicks and giggles. We, we try to avoid it. But at the same time, God's purpose and mission for your life is not necessarily like, oh, well, my, my purpose for your life is to avoid pain. Pain is a part of life. It's just the reality of falling, living in a fallen world. I would say the way that I keep hope is found in this really, really cool text. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He goes, listen, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the flash and the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. This is referring to the resurrection of the dead, the end of all things, that thing we were just talking about earlier. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, 
and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then he quotes, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, if I say therefore, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Don't let anything move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I don't know. To me, that's my hope. Here, here's, here's, I'll put it like this. In the end, we win. No matter what hell we face right now, no matter how brutal, awful, or terrible it is right now, in the end, we win. In the end, there is redemption. In the end, there is hope. In the end, God makes sense of it all. In the end, our hope is in the fact that God gives it. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. That there's a, there is a redemption. There is a healing of all things. And that that is what we hope in. And so that we know that we work now knowing that whatever we do now in this life to come, we don't labor in vain. It was not worthless. It's not for, you know, meaningless and purposelessness. Everything we do here matters what we do in our own decisions. And what we do for others, there is hope. And so when I experience suffering, I just remind myself that even if it's a suffering that leads to death, I will get through this. There is redemption. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And that light is Jesus. Very good. Thank you so much for that, uh, okay, Pastor. I really, really appreciate these that. These are my quick one. versions. Yeah, these are your quick versions now. We didn't get through right. nearly that many questions. We didn't, but um, I know they're a little antsy to answer some of them because they sent me a are really... Are you guys okay? Are you guys doing okay? You're okay? Yeah, you guys want to know if I'm going to choose your question. Now, I apologize if I don't. It's not personal. I don't even know who you are because not all of your numbers are in my phone, so it's not personal, but I'm going to try to get through just a couple of these um, just so we can get you out of here in a timely manner. So, first question question and i like this question i think a few people i know a few people who'd want to ask this do dogs go to heaven yes as long as it's not with them little yippy dogs them yippy ones don't get in um hey great question here's the answer to that the bible actually speaks of animals in heaven the bible says the lion lays down uh with the sheep it, it talks about animals in heaven in other ways um the bible speaks actually fondly and positively of animals throughout the entirety of scripture so the answer would be this i do think there are animals in heaven because remember we talked about this the other day is that god recreates the earth and brings heaven to earth so if on earth there are animals then in heaven for eternity there would be what animals now does does, does fido your favorite puppy get to make it i don't know because i don't think dogs are spirit beings that would does that make sense but I don't know. Maybe. I say, I say, you know, let's hope for the best. If Fido makes it, we're happy. If not, we'll get a new one. And he can fly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm trying to fly. All right. A little heavier now. Next question. Are generational curses real? Absolutely. Um, you know, we can see them in the most natural sense. Sometimes we have certain personality traits that are passed on. You got like anger issues and certain ethnicities and cultures even seem to pass on certain traits. Um, and so, yeah, there's certain things that we can see. And then we talked about there's a spiritual realm of unseen things. And so, yeah, the Bible speaks of generational curses and but curses can be broken. Through Jesus, curses can be broken. And so, uh, as a matter of fact, what he told Abraham was, this is, well, I'll bless whoever blesses you and I'll curse whoever curses you. So anyway, you know. I would say that curses can be broken, but curses are absolutely real. And if you have something in your life that seems to be almost hereditary or sometimes just it, why is it that every member of my family had this issue and it just keeps passing it down? Then there may be something there. You want to gather with a small group, a group of people to pray and to and to seek God to break that thing over your life and get rid of it altogether. So, yeah. OK, OK. Um, next question. Is astrology, psychic readings, astrology slash psychic readings, okay for Christians to read or take part in? 
Uh, no, that, that's not good for you because then you start living your life based on what your horoscope says. And, and let's be honest, they're just trying to make a, money, a, a little bit of money off some advertising next to it. So, um, no, horoscopes, not accurate. We don't live our life based on that. We live our life based on um, the Holy Spirit's guidance by the Word of God. Does that make sense? The Bible says that we shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. So the way, the way we live our life, the way we make decisions, the way we navigate through life's difficulties is by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Does that make sense? And so we don't, we don't allow those outside things to, like I said, get in. And if you read, there's some specific Old Testament questions that would say, no, stay away from that. Okay, I just have to ask this next one because it makes me smile. And if I was a betting man, I'm betting it's a guy. Since David had concubines, is it okay for us to have them? <laughs> no, you got to remember there's a difference between reading the Bible and parts of the Bible are descriptive, parts of the Bible are prescriptive or prescriptive. So like um, the Old Testament never condemns having multiple wives. And, and here's, here's a little bit why. The world was much more barbaric and chaotic during those periods of human history. And for a woman to not have a father or a husband to protect her, uh, she would be forced into slavery or prostitution. And so um, it was actually a, a, a kind thing. that, And this is why you, if you were a man of, of, of great wealth, you would have many wives because you would be able to afford them. How many know, guys, that's... So I, I only got one. That's all I can handle. So... Uh, Anyway, uh, but the New Testament goes ahead and says that, no, a man should have one wife, and that's because history moved forward. So God never uh, thumbs up the multiple wives thing. He just allowed it. And in the New Testament, they go ahead and say, no, husband, one wife, that's the way it works. Does that make sense? Now, David had that many mother-in-laws, too. Oh, Like, let's gosh. just make it known. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My yeah, mother-in-law's yeah. right over here. <laughs> and she is wonderful. Going over her house later today for some food. Don't poison my meal. She is awesome. All right, you just let me know whenever we're pushing it. And, All right, let's uh, do two more. And we'll be let's here. do two more. Okay, let's see here. Let's see here. Um, okay, here's a here's a, a I guess a heavy question, which is always fun for you. Should a couple never divorce if they have kids? That's how the question reads. Should yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. never divorce if they have kids? Okay, uh, let's talk about this real quick here. Uh, divorce is never God's original design. I think by adding in the with kids, um, you're, you're kind of creating a, a dicier situation. Put it this way. I am always for marriage. I am always for faithfulness. I am always for reconciliation, and I am always for redemption. I am always for those things. Um, Jesus has asked this question. He goes, you know, there was a cultural debate in his time. The same way we're talking about homosexuality as a cultural day. He had that. And basically there were two rabbis that argued about uh, it's good to divorce for any reason. She burns the toast, whatever, kick her out. And then there was another rabbi that said, no, only underneath the um, you know, sexual unfaithfulness would you be able to uh, divorce your wife. And so Jesus steps in and says, actually, uh, that's what Moses did because y'all was tripping. Um, he didn't say that. He said because of the hardness of your heart. But anyway, he says Moses gave you the out to have a divorce because of the hardness of your heart because y'all was tripping. And... Uh, but from the beginning, it was not so. And he goes back to Adam and Eve. Remember we talked about in hermeneutics, there's a law of first beginning. What was the law of first beginning? That a man should leave his father's mother, cleave to his wife, and that she shall become one flesh. What God has put together, let no man separate, is what Jesus said. And so divorce is never the, the way to go. So we fight like hell. 
to stay in there. We fight like hell. We get counseling. We get prayer. We get as much help as we can. We do everything we possibly can to pursue reconciliation. Jesus does seem to give the clause that if there's sexual unfaithfulness, that that would be an out. Other than that, you need to pursue um, reconciliation uh, to the utmost degree. With that being said, the New Testament never comes in and says divorce is a sin. But there's a difference between what's God's plan and purpose and what's condemned. Does that make sense? Um, this is where you get into interesting thoughts about there's different words throughout the scripture about sin. So, for example, there's like a transgression. Uh, there's, uh, there's different words throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. The New Testament word for sin, you know what it means? To miss the mark. That's the, so people ask me all the time, is that a sin? Was that a sin? Is that a sin? Well, it depends. Is it, is it an evil? No. Is it a transgression? No. Is it less than God's original plan and purpose? Yeah. So does it miss the mark? Yeah. So then according to the New Testament, is it sin? Yeah. But then we get into like this weird American thing where everything, ooh, is this sin or is that sin? That's why you've noticed like a lot of the questions like, is it sin to do this? Is it a sin to do that? Is it sin? And we put everything in the sin category. And, and Jesus says, no, that's not good. Let's go back to intent. God's original plan, marriage whatsoever. So just bringing the kids in the picture to me would make it all the more motivational to reconcile things. But if sometimes it's better to not. I must be honest, if you're in a situation where there's absolute abuse going on to the other spouse, abuse going on to the other kids, get out. Yeah. So like, the, 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 I would say there's too much situational things involved, and that's why we bring in counsel, which is what Solomon said to do in any major decision of your life. Lean on wise counsel. And so, but if there's not abuse and you're just tripping, work on you. If they're just tripping, they need to work on them. But if there's like high levels of verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, things like that, get the heck out. I don't know if that answers the question or not. That, I'm, I'm firing from the hip, and then sometimes I get lost. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for all of your questions. We do have one more. I feel like we've covered just about every single subject. Um, and if I didn't get to your question, uh, we'll definitely put these on the back burner for possibly a future Q&A. So um, a fun one for our final question. What does the Bible say about the world ending? What Ooh. does it look like? Always a fun one. The end of the world. Was that you? Did you text that in? Somebody asked me that the other day. Like, what's the rapture look like? I have no idea what it looks like. Um, What's funny about the Bible and prophecy is this. When you look at prophecy in the Old Testament and you read the prophecy, it is so confusing. Then you'll see the fulfillment of that prophecy and you'll be like, oh, that makes so much sense. That's what it meant. And it becomes clear because now you have a historical context to look at a previous prophecy. But when you only look at the prophecy, it never makes like clear sense. So when you read the book of Revelation, there's not a lot of clarity there. There's a lot of things that are left to interpretation. And that's why there's 20 different guys with 20 different books and then 20 other guys that argue with those 20 guys. And they're all got a different opinion about this stuff. And so the answer is this. There, there is very little that we know for certain about the end of the world. Um, but let's, so let's not minor on the minors. Let's major on the major. Here's what we know to be true. The Bible says that Jesus will return. That's all I need to know. I mean, really? That's all I really, really need to know. Now, all the other stuff is fun for, for uh, study, for conjecture, for interest. But we don't build our lives around that stuff. So there's a rapture of the church, which is an idea that everybody that's a believer will somehow be caught up in the sky. And everybody else here is going to just get hosed. And there's all kinds of bad seven years of tribulation will be unleashed. And there's bowls and there's scrolls. And I actually have a series on this, too. And so 
Anyway, we don't fully know is the answer. Some people believe that there's a, there's a rapture at the beginning of that seven-year period. Some people believe there's a rapture at the end of that seven-year period. Some people believe that there's a rapture at the end of that period. Some people believe that the return of Jesus and the rapture are the same exact event. There's, there's a number of different ways to interpret it. Here's the only thing that matters to me. That Jesus is going to return, and until then, I'm going to live my life on point and on purpose for him. And that's all I can control anyway. That's how that stuff works out. It's fun. Don't get me wrong. The movies look cool. The books are fascinating. They're good for like, you know, maybe this a certain type of conversation with only a select group of people. But anyway, um, yeah, we, we don't know. So, so again, th- this is stuff that's fun to think about, fun to talk about, but no one is absolutely certain. That's because prophecy has a certain level of vagueness to it until it comes to pass. And then you're like, Oh, I guarantee you we're going to get to heaven one day and be like, oh, that's what that meant. God, I'm so glad to see that. All right, wonderful, Pastor. Well, thank you so much. Did he do a good job? I think he did a good job. I'm sorry. I, I, could, I should have gone faster early. That's what I should have done. And hey, you guys, thank you so much for your questions. It's like Seriously, 1130. Thank you, thank you so thank much you. for your patience. There are more questions, believe it or not. There are a bunch of questions we didn't get to. So here's what I'm going to say. If you had a question that we didn't get to, or if you had a question and you just didn't text it in, just email us, and I'll answer your pet question personally. How's that sound? I'll give, you a little, I'll give you a little email, or you can call me and we'll chit-chat. So uh, do me a favor. Stand up on your feet with me today. Hey, today was definitely kind of a fun day. Um, not a typical sermon day, and um, but but as always, I hope that that you walk out of this place different than the way you walked in. I hope, if nothing more, you you walk out a little bit with your curiosity stirred, with you thinking about scripture. We again, we live our lives, building our lives on the scripture. This is why Jesus tells a really really famous little quick story in the Sermon on the Mount. He says there's two types of men in life. He goes, there's this one guy who heard the word of God, but well, he didn't really listen. And it was like him building his life and building his house on the sand. And when the storms of life came, the storms blew away. But there was a second guy who not only heard the word of God, but actually did and lived out the word of God. He was like a man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms of life came, he survived, he lasted, and he succeeded. He goes, I want you to be that guy. I want you to be that person. Now, here's the big difference in the story that I looked overlooked for years. I thought it was two guys and one had the Bible and one didn't. It's not true. Both of them had the word of God. The difference is, is that somebody did it and lived it. That was the person. So it's not about just hearing the Bible. It's about doing it and living it. And so I want to encourage you, if nothing more, become a student of the Bible. Read the Bible. Have a daily uh, reading plan, a weekly reading plan. Spend some portion of your day in a devotion time praying and reading the Bible so that, guess what? When the questions of life come, whether it's about depression or how do I bounce back from a failure, how do I deal with my stress, or do my dogs go to heaven, whatever it may be, you're going to know. You're going to know, and I love doing this with you. I know this is my job, and this is what I've spent my life studying, and so I, I, I love, and I should know a little bit more. That's great, but like, have that personal pursuit yourself. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we bless you, and we thank you today for a wonderful day, God. We pray, God, that you would, God, just continue to give us a desire and a hunger to know you and to know your words. God, I pray that we would walk out of this place and make a point and make a priority to make your words a part of our life on our regular and a daily basis, God, so that we might know you more and so that we might live for you. God, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. One more time, do me a favor, just give the Lord a big hand clap. Thank you so much for your patience.